Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, again, my name is Dean, and I'm the associate pastor here, uh, Family Ministry. Um, I'm actually going to dismiss our kids right now, so I'm just going to say a quick prayer over them as they head out to their classrooms. God, we thank you for our kids again, and as they go, as they meet with their teachers, we just pray that you would bless their time abundantly, that this morning would be a time to, to play, to learn, to grow, and to be just made more and more aware of how much you love them. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, kids, you are dismissed. You may go meet your teachers at the back. Um, so four years ago, uh, Abby and I <clears throat> had the blessing of taking a trip to England to see some friends. And one of my highlights from the trip was getting to tour the estate uh, called Chartwell. And it was the estate of Winston Churchill set in the English countryside. It was amazing. Um, but everything I had always known about Winston Churchill had come from books, uh, maybe movies. Anybody seen The Darkest Hour? Anybody seen that movie? Yeah. So this is how I sort of come, came to know anything about Winston Churchill, um, especially during those years uh, during World War II when he was a military and political leader. But I didn't really know anything else about him. Uh, so when we went to his estate, there were all sorts of new things I learned. And one of them was that Winston was a painter. Did anybody know that Winston Churchill was a painter? Yeah, Winston Churchill was not only a painter, but he was a pretty decent one at that. He even wrote a little book about his philosophy of painting. Uh, in it, he describes how painting had become his favorite pastime because it offered him a place of rest and relaxation, uh, especially to see just the colors come alive on a canvas, uh, to be able to, to sit before a canvas in a way that he just, he didn't experience anything like that with all of the burdens that he was carrying, with all of the heaviness of the war that was weighing on his shoulders. And he painted a lot, so one of the buildings at his estate holds a whole collection of his works. Essentially, it's an art gallery of Winston Churchill. And as I stood in the middle of that art gallery, I began to understand a whole other side of this monumental figure in history. In fact, it was almost like I had, uh, what I had known before about Winston didn't really show me what he was truly like. It was like I was only getting a snippet of Winston. And as I saw all kinds of different landscapes and people in these paintings, Churchill became a whole lot more than just a political figure in a book. And painting is one of my favorite things as well. I love to paint. So as I stood there in front of these paintings, I began to think of myself in those very same scenes that Winston was in, looking at all of these different landscapes wondering about the different brush strokes he chose and all of the different colors that he chose. And when I later read his book as well, I didn't just learn that Churchill had been a guy who appreciated painting uh, or enjoyed being outdoors and observing the natural world. Through the combination of his book and his artwork together, I felt like in some small way, I had experienced what it was like to know Winston as an artist. Do you know that God is not only an artist, but that God is the original artist? Far too often people's experience, even for Christians, I've found, of learning about God and who God is becomes, uh, it, it, it is something that happens without knowing God as the great artist. It's like somehow that part of our theology just gets completely missed. 
And yet without understanding that God is the great artist, we are missing one of the most important things about God's nature and character. And this summer we've been in this series called Rooted in Wonder, recognizing that God reveals himself to us, of course, through scripture, through his word to us, and also through what God has created. Part of our pursuit of God of knowing who God is and being in this loving relationship with God involves seeing God at work in creation around us so that we can be in more and more in wonder and awe of who our awesome God is. Like in every meadow and every canyon and in every mountaintop, under every tree and with every leaping deer and in the face of a child that's laughing or a dancer's graceful movement or a friendship that is marked by sacrificing and caring for each other, we are standing in the midst of God's art gallery. And when we have eyes to see and when we have ears to hear, we are able to know God more with every moment. But sadly, many people, even those who've attended plenty of church services, heard the gospel many times, still only know God as the almighty rule keeper. Anybody ever had an experience like that where you just knew God only as the almighty rule keeper? You didn't know him as father, you didn't know him as the one who sacrificed himself for you, loved you, created you, made you special, it was just the rule keeper. As though faith is just a matter then of not messing up, and then being weighed down by shame and guilt when we inevitably do, or pretending we don't make any mistakes, and then pride can create a shield around our ego, can allow us to judge everyone else. But see, Scripture itself says right at the very beginning in Genesis 1, before any commandment was ever given to people, Anything that we might today experience as a rule, anything like that, the very first thing God does is he creates. And when in Genesis 1, God created, after everything, the stars and the moon and the mountains and the fish and the squirrels, he said it was good. It was so good. What's interesting about this word good in the Hebrew is is, it's uh, the word tov, And it's not like how we use the word good in our culture today. How was your day? Eh, good, I guess. Right? Like, okay, that sounds like two thumbs 50% of the way up. Like, I mean, that's like, uh, I'm not really sure how your day was. But tov is a word that means something is really right. It's whole. It's done really well. There's a completeness about it, like a work of art that is finished. And after everything God created... God said it is tov. And then when God made people, it was like God was creating his masterpiece. And he put it on display, and it says in Genesis 1.27 that God made people in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And at the end of this final stage of creation, it says God saw everything he had made, and it was very good. It was very good. Tove. Like everything that you thought you knew about Tove, well, it's very Tove when God made us. Isn't that so beautiful to see that image of what God did, laying out his art gallery? And this is what God says about you and me, about the beauty of all he has made, and as people, to be made in God's image is no small thing. It's not just like this 
extra designation that got stamped on us. No, you and I and even, yeah, your grumpy neighbor, I know, but even them reflect who God is in the way we are made in a very special and unique way. And one of the things that this means is that just as God is creative, so are we. Now, some of you are like, no, I'm not. I'm not at all creative. No, we we really are because, see, no other created being creates things simply for the sake of their beauty or appreciates things simply for the sake of their beauty. A pain serves no practical function at all, right? It covers up space on a wall. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't help us eat. It doesn't keep us warm. It's not a dwelling, and yet... We as human beings are drawn to marvel and wonder before a beautiful work of art because we reflect the original artist. But as Kurt has talked about the last few weeks, while the world is good because God created it that way and called it good, creation is also suffering. Suffering under the weight of brokenness because of humanity's choice to allow sin to enter the world. And sin is simply choosing to live as though we were God, as though we could decide for ourselves what's good and what's right, what's good and evil, and if we want to abuse or hurt someone else or something else, well, I'll just decide to call it good today. But the consequences of that decision is now that creation is broken. It's not fully how God intended it. And anyone who has ever walked this planet can feel that tension. It's like someone came through the art gallery and splattered a bunch of other paint and tar all over God's paintings. But the beautiful works of art they were meant to be is still visible through all of the mess. You can still see that they're works of art. And so because of that, God gave his people the law to act as boundaries God gave it to his people, Israel, in the Old Testament to act as boundaries to help them live in closer alignment with his intentions, to reveal what God wants for his creation. But that was never actually going to be the solution because God knew the tragedy of sin is that it's more than just individual choices or the lack of a roadmap. It's like a chronic condition we've inherited that keeps us trapped. So even if we're given a guidebook, we still sin, even if we try really, really hard. Have you experienced this before? You try really hard to do the right thing and you still don't, right? And if you're honest, you're nodding your head and saying, yeah, I've done that, I get it, I've been there. So no one gets to claim they are perfect or don't need forgiveness and redemption. And this is why we are so thankful that God sent Jesus, amen? amen. God didn't sugarcoat our situation He didn't just shout a little bit louder from heaven. Get it together, you rascals, whippersnappers. Figure it out. No, he addressed our pain and our mess head on to redeem the whole of creation that through Jesus' death and resurrection, God took on the very burden of our mistake. And the power of sin and death has been broken. We live as people of hope that the whole of creation will one day be rescued from this present brokenness. And in the present, we don't just sit around and wait. By the power of God's Spirit, we are being transformed from our old sinful selves to be more and more aware of who we are as God's beloved children made in His image and to live out of that identity. 
Our transformation as Christians then is not first and foremost about making different choices. It's about being more and more aware of our new identity that comes from God's love and grace for us and then responding to that. It was our identity, in fact, that was at stake from the very beginning. In fact, one of the biggest challenges of following God can be learning to accept God's love and grace for us because we'd rather try to fix it all ourselves. Have you ever done that before? Yeah, we've all tried to do that before. But before sin ever entered the world, before uh, or because of our mistakes, before the good creation was ever broken apart, before God ever gave the law to his people, before God sent Jesus into the world to live and die and rise again, God created and called it good. So even now that creation is broken, Paul still says in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Despite the paint splatters all over the artwork, we can still see the wonder of what God has made. Erin Linham says in her book, Rooted in Wonder, have you ever experienced the hush of a forest It is something quieter than silence. While silence is the absence of noise, the quiet of the outdoors introduces a new octave, a stillness enunciated by nature's songs. You can hear it from birds harmonizing from branches, in the wind stirring up grasses, and in a fresh blanket of snow creating an amphitheater of focused acoustics. This quiet is more than an absence of society's noise. It is full. God's creation is much more than just a pretty background for our selfies, right? It's also more than something we can just use or abuse whenever we want. God asks that we steward his creation because he made it and it's good. But how can we engage then with God's artwork today? How can God's creation become part of our discipleship as we learn to love God and walk closer with him? In the book of Philippians, Paul talks to the Philippian church about a lot of things. We actually sang about one of those things earlier this morning. But one of the key themes is how their identity in Christ as God's children is the foundation for how they will live. But he also says that we are not finished yet. right? We still press on. We are not done yet. God is still working. God has more work to do in us so we can know God more and reflect God more. And that nothing is better also than knowing Christ and being known by him. Nothing is worth more than loving God and walking with God so that we can learn also to love our neighbor. Which is hard, right? It's very hard. Which is part of the reason why it's so important to walk closer and closer with God every day. But then in chapter 4, he comes to what he wants to leave them with. Starting in verse 8, he says, Finally, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. 
What Paul is doing is saying that if we really want to grow in all of these things, to learn more about who God is and grow in our love for God and our neighbor, we have to nourish our minds and our souls, or rather we have to allow our minds and souls to be nourished. It's not unlike how we need to nourish our bodies, right? When Paul says, think here, He's not just talking about passing thoughts or occasional ideas that might float in. It really means to dwell on it, to sit with it for a while. And whether we know it or not, we are all, every single day, dwelling on something. It's not a question of whether or not we dwell on something. It's a question of what we will dwell on. Right? Because our minds are always at work. Our minds are always doing something. Something is always filling our minds. So if anything is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, dwell on it. Let it nourish you. And then because exercise is also important for health, he says, whatever you've learned or seen or heard from me, put it into practice. And finally, the God of peace will be with you. God's very spirit is going to be walking with you every step of the way. So the most straightforward way you can take these verses is the old spiritual practice of meditation. Now, meditation is sometimes a word that has a particular connotation uh, in our culture today, perhaps sitting in a kind of trance or in a a certain physical position, or um, perhaps uh, the cultural idea today is the idea of emptying our minds, just kind of getting all thoughts out of our minds, uh, getting all the bad stuff out of there. And of course, we do need to get the bad stuff out, right? I mean, if, if we have something toxic in our bodies... It shouldn't be there. It's important to get that out. Rotten food is not good for you, turns out, right? But getting that out doesn't mean that you're healthy. It just means that you're hungry, right? You still need the right nourishment. Our bodies, just like our minds, need to be filled with something. Joshua 1.8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. See, meditation is simply about dwelling on something. There's nothing mysterious about it. Just as Paul says in Philippians 4, that even though we are, of course, dwelling on things that are in themselves a mystery, I mean, the mystery of God's love, the mystery of God's grace, there's nothing mysterious about meditation in and of itself. It simply means to dwell And the first step in meditation is to simply and humbly admit you don't have it all figured out. You have not arrived yet. Meditating means we know that we need God, that we're lost without God, that we don't have all the answers. And so meditation is very much connected to prayer. It creates space for us to be reminded of and stay attached to God's truth, which means, of course, it isn't our truth. We don't own the truth. We are just transformed by it, which is good news, because otherwise we can think that we've arrived, that we do have it all figured out. We do know exactly what God is thinking. We do have all the answers, and we no longer need to listen to anything or anyone else. And then we become blind to our blind spots. Even those like the disciple and later the apostle Peter was someone who had blind spots. Now, some of you might be thinking about some of the blind spots he had when he followed Jesus, like the time he got rebuked by Jesus, um, or any number of different things. But even after seeing Jesus die and then rise again, 
And then seeing the whole, and witnessing and being filled with the very Holy Spirit coming at the day of Pentecost, he still did not understand the fullness of what the gospel meant. He didn't get that it was for everybody. Even after experiencing all that, he didn't get that it was for every ethnicity, every tribe, every nation. He thought it was just for Jewish people. And so in Acts chapter 10, Jesus comes to him while he is actually meditating. And in the midst of this time of meditating, Jesus comes to him in a vision. And of course, Peter argues with Jesus. And he starts going back and forth with Jesus. He's like, no, 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 Jesus, no. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus is like, Peter, stop. (laughs) And finally he wakes up from this meditation and he finally realizes what Jesus has been trying to tell him all along. That the gospel is supposed to go out everywhere. Gospel is supposed to be for every person. Have you ever had a moment like that? Without humility, see, meditation or prayer, it just becomes a performance. Hoping we can either impress God or impress others or maybe just feel better about ourselves and our religious habits. But when we recognize our ongoing need for grace and forgiveness, prayer and meditation take us deeper into the wonder of who God is and how deep his love is for us. So the Christian concept of meditation has always been about focusing on and dwelling on something to fill our minds, specifically God's Word. And if you're actually looking for a new way for God's Word to fill you, we have a new opportunity here at Faith Covenant that we're going to be launching actually this fall. So we're going to be doing a study through the Bible in a way that you probably have never done it before. This is a version of the Bible called Immerse, and this is actually only one of six volumes. And the way that they've published this Bible is they've taken out all of the stuff that we put in it right? There's no chapter uh, numbers. There's no verse numbers. There's no, you know, uh, subtitles or anything like that. It's just all of it is out there so that we actually have God's word as it originally came to us rather than with all the other stuff added in. Kind of a novel idea, right? Just read the Bible. (laughs) So we're going to be doing this together as a church. And so you're going to be getting some more information about that in the weeks to come. But I just wanted to let us know that this is an opportunity for us to engage God's word, perhaps in a way that you never have before. Even if you've read the same verses, the same sentences, the same text, and the same stories over and over again. Since your childhood, this is a new opportunity. But just as Paul says, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, dwell on it. See, we can step outside and be in the midst of the amazing things God has created that are always pointing us back to the creator. As we take time to meditate on how good God is because we see the evidence all around us in the intricacies of ecosystems and the strength of a tree planted next to a river, Right? That's in the Psalms, right? Like, this is something that David pointed to and said, look, this is how we can know what it's like to be someone who dwells on God's word. It's like you're a tree and you're planted next to a river. In the songs of a bird, and even when we see the incredible ways God has made our own body, once again, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. These are all opportunities to be in wonder and meditate on God's goodness that will nourish our souls. 
These are things that scripture itself talks about. Meditating on God's goodness keeps our minds energized and alert for all the ways God wants to work in our lives and helps us to live more and more into our identity as God's children. See, meditating is, is, in, uh, is not about a certain form. It's not about standing or sitting. It's not about your eyes closed. See, it can happen on a hike. It can happen while you're gazing at the night sky. It's taking enough time to watch and listen so we can hear what God is saying. But we know also when we pair that with God's word to us, it's not about the thing itself. It's not just about admiring the artwork. It's about getting to know the artist. John Muir, the famous mountaineer, uh, who was also one of the first to advocate for preserving wilderness in the United States, said, everybody needs beauty as well as bread, places to, stay, places to play in and pray in, where nature may heal and cheer and give strength to body and soul alike. So we also have to recognize that meditating or dwelling on things that are good, beautiful, and true is also, though, not about ignoring the hard and difficult things. In fact, it is often in those places that are most difficult and hard that we find things that are so glorious. Every week, we are reminded as we walk into the sanctuary of the death of Jesus. There's nothing harder than that. There's nothing more messed up in human history than that moment when we literally killed the God of the universe on a cross. And we don't remember it every week because we like to dwell on violence. We don't remember because we love pain and suffering. We dwell on it because through all of that suffering Jesus endured, we see the love of God on display because we know Jesus was also raised from the dead. Meditating and dwelling on things that are good, beautiful, true, and lovely gives us the ability to endure through the difficult and painful because we become more and more aware of God's spirit with us and the beauty and wonder that is all around us because of who God is. So one of my favorite authors, Wendell Berry, wrote a poem called The Peace of Wild Things. He says, When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So this image of being surrounded by God's beauty and finding a peace that calms our spirits in the midst of so much chaos, that is God's intention also behind the practice of Sabbath. See, Sabbath was turned into something far different in Jesus' day. It was about rules to follow and it was far removed from God's heart. But Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. Jesus said, that's a, that's a very important distinction. That's a very important order. 
And when we take more than just a moment but are intentional about slowing down, focusing, meditating on God's goodness all around us, our souls are given the nourishment they need. Sabbath rest is not just the absence of a clock-in, clock-out job to do. And for some of us, that may be difficult. Some of you, your work schedule may seem overwhelming and overbearing. But it's about connecting with God. It's about noticing beauty around us. Sabbath rest is meant to be active and not passive. And there's no better way to spend our Sabbath rest than being observant of God's beauty and creation, especially in a busy world where maybe the rest of the week we felt way too overwhelmed and exhausted to do so. Before we continue in worship this morning, I want us to take a few moments to pause. And I want you to just think back over, over your life or maybe over the last week maybe over the last month or two, and think about a time or a place where you really sensed God's presence in creation. It doesn't have to be any, anything special or extraordinary. It doesn't have to be that you are literally on the top of Mount Everest. No, just a time when you were in the midst of God's art gallery and you just sensed God being present. I want all of us to just close our eyes right now and I want you to just think about and dwell on what that was like. I want you to think about how being in the midst of that art gallery drew you into God's presence, reminded you of God's goodness. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you smell? What did you feel? Was it the wind on your face? Was it the sunshine? Was it a bit of rain nourishing the earth? What was it about that time where you felt God's presence so present with you? As we as we open our eyes, I just want to ask, is there anybody who wants to share what that moment was? Anybody have a moment where they really felt God's spirit and presence and just shortly wants to share what that looked like or what, where that was? Anybody? We got a microphone coming to you. This is, my name's Laurie Finlayson. This is not exactly what you're looking for, but I was on my way to the airport last week to take a quick trip to Florida, and I had a lot of anxiety about it. I knew God wanted me to go on this trip, and I didn't have my reservation for the parking garage, and um, I, I couldn't get into my account because I had no password, and I prayed. God speaks to me a lot through birds. So I prayed, okay, God, you've got to open this door for me to get in the parking garage. And this little pigeon feather blew across my windshield. <laughs> and then I was not anxious anymore, and it all worked out fine. That is exactly what we're looking for. Praise God. Even something as simple as a pigeon feather floating across your windshield. What else? Did anybody else have a moment or a time when you really felt and experienced God's presence in the midst of creation? Hello? Oh, it must be me. Um, I actually spent last weekend in Wenatchee with my sister, and it was the height of the Perseid meteor showers. 
And so we were standing out on our deck. She's kind of far off from the city, so it's a really beautiful place to see it. But what um, we saw a lot, but two right in a row, so close that you could see the tail and almost the fire off of these things. But what really struck me, and just hearing you speak, Dean, was the reaction that everybody had. That simultaneous gasp of like awe was so cool just to realize that it's like, you know, he's, God's putting on a show and we get to see it. And it was just really, I don't know, that was the part that just really spoke to me is just how we all are really in wonder and awe of his creation when we stop and take the time to see it. Anybody else? I'm going to get Diane and then I'll come back for you. Diane Benson, and there was a time when my husband and I went on a trip up the, um, up the river, and it was an overnight trip, and we spent the overnight where there was absolutely no electricity. And so it was a time we went out about midnight and looked up at the sky, and there were a gazillion stars. I live in the valley. I don't see very many stars anymore. But there were a gazillion stars, and you just could not help but just look and know that, you know, God knows the name of every one of those. And how just amazing. And I've never forgotten that. It's been several years ago, but that has just stayed with me this time. It's just how beautiful the sky really is. And I don't get to see it very often. <laughs> Absolutely. My family took a, a trip through the desert from starting in Southern California up, and eventually we made it to Utah. Same thing. We, we actually, well, my, my wife took a phone and took a time, or a, um, uh, had a very slow shutter speed on it. And so it just kind of absorbed everything that was up there in the sky. And as you zoomed in, you just saw way more stars than you thought ever existed. And it was just, it was incredible. I'll uh, share experience a couple weeks ago and put a plug in for the uh, hike around the uh, outer loop at Point Defiance. Kathy and I, uh, we can't do the one in September, we're going to be gone, but we did the, the walk around the, uh, out of the Point Defiance, and it's so beautiful, the uh, forest and the water and the views, and it's just, uh, it's just gorgeous and just can't help but feel God's presence and something like that. Absolutely. My name is Jonathan Brown, and I'm blessed to be uh, part of the BD family legacy through Mama BD and her, my brother from another mother, Joel, right here. And um, in 1995, I was in San Diego. I was going to San Diego State on a football scholarship, and at what would you think would be the height of a young kid's life and all the fame and fun stuff, I was in a bad way. But I used to go down to the to the beach. I was down there, I went down there for a party, a bonfire party, and I wound up off to myself. And I used to just listen to the waves crash and the cool breeze and the wind, and it was so peaceful. It, it helped me get through a part of my life. And, I, and the, what God gave, the thought that I had was, how can you, anybody who comes down here, how can you experience this and not believe that there's a God? Because it was just so peaceful it was so healing, the water, and everything like that. And it was just, it, whenever I'm having a hard time, if I go down to the water, it just does it for me. So. Amen. Anyone else may have time for one more? 
Linda She's going to make here. me run. <laughs> I'm kidding. They can't hear you online. We want you to hear you online. I'm Linda Randolph, and just this past couple of days, I took my youngest son on vacation to Leavenworth. Um, Eric has had an extremely rough four or five years, and he's come out of some really deep, dark places. And we were along the Wenatchee River, and I was watching him, and there was this big, huge rock, probably, I don't know, 20 yards offshore. And I could see that five-year-old start coming out of my 20, almost 22-year-old. And he looked at me, and he's like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you are. So he took his shoes off and his socks off, and he started making his way from boulder to boulder and kind of wading through some spots. And as I sat there, I almost started to weep because what came to me is God was really giving me a message of, see, I'm the big rock in his life. I have Eric, even when you thought I didn't. And I watched him struggle his way to this big rock, and then he climbed up on top of it, and he stood up, and he raised his arms up high, and I just thought, yeah, you do have him. And all the stuff that was dragging him down, I just saw wash away in the water going downstream. And it was just the most beautiful moment of God reminding me that even when I thought all was lost, nothing was lost because God always had Eric and God always has me. And so it was just this wonderful moment and he made his way back and he's like, I can't believe you didn't come out and join me. And I'm like, you have no idea what I've been doing here on shore, trying not to cry, but it was just wonderful. And God is bigger than all that we face. Amen. These are a lot more than just nostalgic memories, right? It's more than just a, you know, more than just a postcard. These are moments of being in God's presence in the midst of God's art gallery. And as we continue uh, in worship here in, in just a moment, as Kurt said at the beginning of this summer, meditating on God's goodness and appreciating the beauty God has made comes from choosing to linger longer. I'm going to say that phrase one more time. Linger longer. Some of you remember that from the beginning of the summer. I'm going to invite our uh, worship team to come forward as we continue in worship, but as we do that, let's remember that God is always present with us. God's always speaking to us, including through the wonder of his art gallery. Let's continue in worship, everyone. <laughs> 